Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. So under the Affordable Care Act, North Carolina would be responsible for 10% of the cost to expand Medicaid. And the General Assembly, Republican leadership, has opposed this for a decade. But now they cut a deal amongst themselves between the House and Senate, and they're moving a deal to expand Medicaid forward. The federal government promises to pay 90%. And expanding Medicaid is going to mean about 600,000 able-bodied, working-age adults will now be added to the Medicaid program. You will also, by the way, have people who are on Obamacare, bronze and silver plans, uh, who will just ditch the plans and go over onto Medicaid. So you're always undercounting. There's always an undercount on this, and it's always an undercount on the expense. But details. North Carolina is going to get an initial $1.5 billion bonus of sorts in federal dollars for expanding Medicaid, as well as $800 million in annual recurring revenue from the federal government. That, according to House Speaker Tim Moore and Senate uh, President Pro Tem Phil Berger, both Republicans. As part of this deal, they are going to eliminate three out of 27 regulations called Certificate of Need. C-O-N, or CON, but we'll call them C-O-Ns. They're going to eliminate three of these C-O-Ns. C-O-Ns have been around in 19, since 1978 in this state. These programs prohibit healthcare providers from entering new markets or making changes to existing capacity without first gaining the approval of state regulators. Research shows that reforming or repealing these laws would improve both the quality and accessibility of healthcare for North Carolinians. Republicans have been arguing for repeal of CON laws since Democrats put them in place. Republicans took control of the legislature in 2010, and they just can't seem to get off the get off the the um well the hospital money. <laughs> that's, they can't get that's that's what's happening. The industry does not want to get rid of this because it's anti-competitive. It it gives them uh, advantages. They don't want competition because competition will drive down their their cost or their prices that they charge, right? I mean, that's what capitalism does. That's what free market competition does, so we can't have that. But Republicans have been unable to convince themselves uh, to enact free market competitive reforms. And so the John Locke Foundation, conservative think tank in Raleigh, has spent years working on this, lobbying for it, writing research, doing research, right, trying to get Republicans to move on this. You know, that sweet, sweet hospital money. They just can't seem to break free of it. So uh, part of the deal to expand Medicaid, which some Republicans want to do, all Democrats want to do, part of the deal is to repeal three out of 27 CONs. Three out of 27, or 11%. They want to repeal, and that's part of the deal. Now, conservatives, libertarians, limited government people, like myself, I... I don't think that's a good deal. I don't want to see Medicaid expanded, and I do want to see CON laws repealed. And so when I 
uh, joined in with the John Locke Foundation's criticism of this deal. And I asked a simple question, which was, how much government do we need to grow in order to reduce it? It engendered a response, a response from a fellow by the name of Brent Woodcox. I've never met him. I've never spoken with him. I have interacted with him on Twitter. He work, He's a lawyer. He works at the General Assembly in the Senate Republican leadership uh, organization. I, I forget. I, he may not work directly for Senator Berger. I forget. He may work for a different senator, but he's part of that team. Anyway, my uh, my questioning of this deal and my suggestion that, well, I guess we're going to have to expand Medicaid like eight more times if we want to eliminate all the rest of the CONs. I mean, it's just math. Uh, he did not take too kindly to it. So let's go back to this first tweet uh, that he sent to me. And by, by the way, I need to reset this too. We are doing a theatrical reading of the Twitter exchange. And uh, Bernie Bowles, producer Bernie, resident millennial, uh, he is reading the part of, uh, of Brent Woodcox here. So let's go back to the initial one right at the top of the page there, right? The initial, the first tweet that he sent to me where he said, We could expand it zero times and get rid of none of them. Turns out radio rantings and white papers couldn't get the job done. Right. So he's attacking me, radio rantings and white papers. He's attacking Donald Bryson from the John Locke Foundation. He's attacking us for saying that this is not a good deal. And we favor the repeal of the CON laws, but we do not favor the deal that structures it three in exchange for Medicaid expansion. That's not a good deal. And so what he's essentially saying there is that, yes, he, he too wants the CONs repealed. But, the, but obviously, this is the only way it could have been done. And you, Pete, ranting on the radio, and you, Donald, uh, and all of your colleagues at John Locke Foundation, devoting your life's work to getting this stuff repealed among ostensibly ideological allies, um, that, that, that doesn't matter. You don't affect change. You are ineffective and ineffectual. So Bryson responds, quote, who couldn't get the job done? Who? John Locke? Mercatus? Another uh, the, from the George Mason University, the Mercatus Center. He says, because we provided high-grade research, talked to lawmakers, and invested years. Unfortunately, the legislative process does not allow me to issue legislation or vote on it. That's the General Assembly's job. Facts are stubborn things. And I then piped up once again, as is my habit. I said, indeed, Donald. See, it's my fault for arguing with leftists for a decade against Medicaid expansion, trying to inform people about the absurdity of the CON laws. Stupid me. Trying to help build support for limited government positions. And then fellow by the name of Adam... Adam Love used to be here in Charlotte. Now he gloats about being across the border in South Carolina all the time. It's a little much, Adam. Just had, just saying. It's a little much. All right. Adam says, if only you, Pete, if only you had ponied up the kind of money that the hospitals do, you and Donald Bryson could have been taken seriously by the Speaker of the House and the Senate President Pro Tem Phil Berger. I mean, just ask the state treasurer, Dale Falwell. And then he says Brent should just admit that his boss and the Speaker of the House are tired of fighting about Medicaid every budget cycle and want the issue off the table. They couldn't lock up full supermajorities last year, so they are punting on it with token CON reform to save face. Just be honest. So then 
Brent later on tweets out a, a, a National Review article, and uh, he says, "A smart political tactician recognizes when a battle has turned against him, salvages what victories can be achieved given the circumstances, and lives to fight another day. Constantly fighting the last war is a good way to lose one." Right. So what is he saying there? That things have changed, and they're going to take this opportunity to get something before the window closes. He's now making, he's actually literally literally having this uh, argument, making this argument on Twitter as I speak. I did invite him on the program. I asked him if he wanted to come on the program. Uh, He did not. Earlier in the day, um, this was, uh, right, Amy O. Cook. Amy O. Period Cook, not O. Cook, like Irish O. Cook, but okay. Um, and she is the CEO at the Locke Foundation, John Locke Foundation. And she re- responded to one of my messages in this running Twitter debate. When I, when I asked him, I said, I am genuinely curious, Brent. Did you expect all the people who stood with you and argued these positions publicly for a decade Did you expect us all to flip so easily? And if not, do you think your current rhetorical approach is the best way to convince us it was the best way to repeal the CON laws? Is this your outreach? This is how you're attempting to persuade people that the deal is, is a good deal. And Amy Cook said these are two important questions. And she said these are important questions. And Brent Woodcox responds to her. I don't think Bernie has this. Mm-hmm. I'm off script because this just came down. Brent says, I don't care what your positions are on these issues. Your positions obviously don't matter to the outcome here. That's what he told the CEO of the John Locke Foundation. The John Locke Foundation has been on the front lines of fighting the leftists, the regulatory state. Right? The John Locke Foundation has cranked out research they were leading voices during the lockdowns, against the lockdowns, against the governor's um, uh, pandemic uh, restrictions. Right? They, they had the Speaker of the House speak at their last Liberty Convention. This is the way Brent Woodcock speaks to the CEO of that organization. I don't care what your positions are. Your positions don't matter to the outcome. I will say to Brent what I said to Christy Puckett-Williams and the ACLU of North Carolina. I will say the same thing. It's the same piece of advice. Right? I'm not sure this is the best person to be representing your views. This is how you talk to your allies? Do you think, do, so do you think I would ever care to, to push anything you want? I mean, not that I have any influence at all on anything. Not that people listening to the program have any influence, I don't know, in like voting in Republican primaries or anything. Not like Union County is like a huge, huge part of the Republican electoral map, right? Not like, not like any of that, right? All right? I'm sure. I invited him on the show, but he's on the show regardless. He said no. Well, he didn't say no. He didn't answer, so that's an answer. He's still going. I'll take a look during the break and get back to you. News Talk 1110-993-WBT. I got asked, uh, you know, Pete, what is, what is Mr. Woodcox trying to say? 
either the Republican legislature has the numbers to pass legislation or what? They're Democrat light or they're transactional politicians. And uh, and by the way, I apologize. I got the allergies on set here. But uh, no, I think it is. Um, I think it is the latter that the, that this is transactional. That's how they're behaving. I think that is the that is the point. I think there are, you know, he does it, it appears to me, and again, what do I know? Just a talker, not someone who can do politics. I just talk about politics, right? That's easy, as he said to me in the Twitter exchange. If you didn't hear the whole Twitter exchange, how it began, get the podcast and go to episode two for today, and that's where it starts. So I think what's going on is a couple of things. Number one, and there are a whole bunch of different angles here. But I don't see them because I'm just a talker. But if I'm just so I'll just like uh, just uh, spitball here. Uh, number one, um, he won't name and shame Republicans who support certificate of need regulations. All right? You, you ever notice that for, like for a decade, Republicans have been in charge, but for some reason they can't remove one of the most egregiously and obvious monopolistic, anti-competitive set of regulations in North Carolina that would actually help expand access to care, drive down pricing. The fight that Dale Falwell, our state treasurer, had with the hospital industry, just because he's asking, hey, you know, I got to make decisions about the state employee health plan. What do these services cost? And the hospitals are like, you can't see. We're not going to tell you. And so he tried to get he tried to get access to the information, and they blocked him. They stonewalled him. He filed freedom of information requests, and they blocked him. And then tried to get the legislature to make him uh, to make it available information. They blocked him. So you can't tell me there's no money involved here, right? This is there is a political funding component to this. The hospitals spread a lot, and I say the hospitals; it's the what the healthcare association or whatever it is. Right, the, the the industry lobbyists spend a ton of money to make sure that they don't get a lot of competition all over the place. They don't want little mom and pop MRI operations popping up everywhere where you can get a cheap MRI. God forbid you you know die get diagnosed uh, earlier on in an illness and it might save your life. I mean that would be outrageous, right? God forbid you're able to walk into a shop on the side of the road and get an MRI. Um, so I think there's, there's part of this inability to call out and publicly pressure so-called conservatives, so-called limited government types who, who don't want their hospital money to dry up because they, they want to protect their position, their elected position. So they don't want money being used against them in the next election. So they don't try to repeal the CONs. And the Republican leadership and the Republican Party, they don't want to out those people. They don't want to call attention to them because that might, that would make it uncomfortable for individual members, right? So that's one thing. Another thing is they don't want to name and shame all of the Republicans that are going to go along with Medicaid expansion. They'll all be on the record now, but a lot of them will be able to say things like, well, the leadership required it and I don't really like it. And they're going to come up with some, you know, BS excuses for flipping if they even get asked about it. The only people that are going to ask Republicans about why they flipped are Republicans. Because the media doesn't care. I mean, oh, they'll ask Moore and they'll ask Berger. But whatever they say, that'll be understood to mean uh, or to be the position of all of the rank and file. But there are a lot of rank and file 
that disagree with doing this but are going to do it because they're told to do it. And if they don't do it, they'll suffer. They won't get committee appointments, right? They won't get the invitations or whatever. They might get removed from a chairmanship position. So they're not going to they're not going to go against their leadership. So that's part of it. So like people in conservative media, we're the only ones that are going to be asking rank and file and and just a heads up to all rank and file, I will be asking you why you flipped. Right? Why you flipped? They another component, they want they want the issue to go away. Right? They're tired of hearing, you know, my good friend Ray Cooper beat him up over access to health care. Um, they want credit for giving the care to the poor, even though it's going to create shortages because you, you're going to have what's called the woodwork effect where people like they got an estimated, uh, you know, turnout. People like 500, 600,000 people are going to sign up on the Medicaid rolls. Well, there's always more than that. They call it the woodwork effect. People turn out of the woodwork, right? It's going to cost more than you anticipate because that's always been the case. And then people are going to like it because once you give them freebies, once they get hooked onto the government feeding tube, um, once they're hooked, then you can't take it away. This is how government grows. And this is why I said, to quote, uh, to paraphrase an old quote, conservatism doesn't conserve anything. It demurs to each aggression of the progressive party. It saves face by a respectable amount of growling, but always acquiesces in the end. Right? It caves. It goes along. It, mm, I don't like this at all. How dare you? Okay, I'm on board. Right? That, that's how this goes, and that's where we are in this, in this performance. Also, you got to keep the hospital money flowing, and you don't want to have to acknowledge that you flipped. Because that might send a message to the people that believed in you and thought you were ideologically aligned with them. It might send a message that they can't trust you. And that would jeopardize your election chances. So you just need to get past this election. Now, who knows? You know, another angle here, which I don't see, of course, because I'm just a talker. But another angle here, of course, is that they're going to stuff this thing into the budget and they're going to make Roy Cooper sign it or veto it, and they're banking on him signing it. And so they're going to try to stick some stuff in there that he would never sign on its own. And so they're using it as leverage. I mean, it's going to cost, you know, taxpayers billions of dollars, but that's a small price to pay for Republican electoral prospects. I mean, if I were, you know, involved in politics at all, I I might be able to tell you that stuff. But (laughs) what do I know? I'm just a little old radio host. All right. Are you prepared for a disaster? Do you need some advice? Are you looking for a military surplus that's real? Well, for more than three decades, the answer has been Old Grouch's Military Surplus in downtown Clyde. It is an old school, traditional store. It's got a mix of modern and vintage items. See my friend Tim. He'll hook you up. He gets new stuff in all the time. American made because it's real military surplus. Camo, shirts, hats, customized dog tags, gear, Old Grouches on Main Street, downtown Clyde, across the street from the anti-aircraft gun. The shop is open Monday through Saturday and all the time at oldgrouch.com. Here is Jim. Welcome to the program, Jim. Hey, Pete. What's up? One of the reasons we talk about health care and your and my favorite topic, public education, that's where all the money is, and that's where all the government politicians and bureaucrats are. Uh, both at the federal level right now, Biden's wanting to increase taxation for Medicare 
cementing and expansion. And um, public education budget just keeps exploding everywhere. Three billion bond issue outstanding right now in Mecklenburg County for public schools. Yep. And um, it's where the, if you look at all these budgets, federal and state, uh, 50% to two-thirds of the budgets are health care and public education. But, but Pete, there's two other comments. I know it's not on health care, but related to public education. One is this Texas news I just heard today about they're going to go to a different cycle mm-hmm. on computing public education days or time per year. Uh, a Not 160 days, but oh, I'm not sure I heard it correctly. But uh, units or time, and I think that's very interesting. They're blaming shortage of teachers and who, who, who knows what else, facilities or whatever. Uh, and so I think that's very interesting. Pete, Pete, we've got what's going on right now, and it's really dramatic here in North Carolina, because all these people all over the country are coming to right here. Uh, property values are exploding. Tax assessments are exploding to put up more 20 and $30 million campuses uh, that are going to get used maybe 25 30% of the time. The property taxes are going to be removing people from their houses along with public health uh, expenditures. So it'd be interesting to see where it goes. Well, a lot, well people need to check with their counties because a lot of counties have, uh, have reductions in property tax rates and bills for uh, retirees. Well, that's right, Pete. And in fact, I've, my mother participated in that. There you go, yeah. So... But, but yeah, if you're not retiree, if you yeah, I mean yes, but, this is the, always the pressure. Is like the more stuff you spend on, the more the property tax rates go up. Yeah, but but the, that threshold so low, uh, roughly fifty to a hundred thousand a year in income, it doesn't affect them. Hmm. And so you may be a retiree, or you've got health issues. As your property taxes go up, you're going to struggle to stay in that house. Yeah. No, I hear you. Yeah. Uh, and to your point, Jim, I appreciate the call. To your point, in North Carolina, um, 60% of the total budget goes to education. So that's K-12, community colleges, and the UNC system. 60% for education, and then 23% for health and human services. Combined, that makes up 83% of the total state budget is education, health, and human services. 83%. So why do you think why do you think statists want those areas under their control? Why do you think? Why do like because that's it. Like that's the that's 83% of all the all the money. That's where the money that's where the money is. And not only that, you get to teach every kid coming through and there and once you put people into a healthcare system that's, you know, dependent on federal money, that's a line item in a budget which can be cut, folks. It can be cut. In fact, it always is. Look overseas at these government-funded programs, and they cut they cut the line items. Healthcare, like all other goods and services, and you may want to ignore the quote invisible hand of the free market, right? But you cannot ignore the principle. The principles do not ignore you. You can ignore all you want, but these things still hold true. Um, if you you have a good or service. 
You can ration by access or you can ration by price. Those are your options. Access or price. There is no such thing as limitless health care for everybody. It is an impossibility. So how is the best way to deliver the best care to the most amount of people the most consistently? That's the idea. Utopia, perfection, is not one of the options available to us here. So what do we want to do? Well, we're going to, apparently, we are going to ration by access. That's what we're going to do. Apparently, Americans have decided we're going to ration by access, not by price. Of course, the wealthy will still always be able to get extra care. This isn't going to affect them. No. The people who are making these decisions, this is not going to impact them for the most part. There may be some, but for the most part, no. No, the people that this impacts are the ones that are supposedly going to get helped. And you're going to get helped good and hard here. Uh Uh-huh. Really helped. Because when you expand the roles, now everybody has access, right? You're going to expand the roles. We're going to, oh, everybody gets to come in. And you don't have anybody to service the expanded roles. You don't have access. Price is the best way to do it. Well, what about people who don't have money? Then you add in the volunteer. You add in the the civic-minded component. You add in a safety net of sorts, yes. But if you make access the way you ration it, everyone's going to get rationed. That's how that happens. That's the way it always happens. You know how long it takes? We had a caller earlier talking about the wait times for, for various procedures in Canada. I mean, the wait times for these, oh, I get what I need in Canada. Yeah, after like six months for a, for a, a knee replacement, six months, maybe a year, people are on wait lists for all sorts of things that they get almost immediately here. Well, we used to. I don't know. Like now it takes, I mean, it took me like five months to get a physical scheduled. So as long as we're trading a couple of CON uh, repeals for expansion of Medicaid. Um, I'm kind of curious, like what else might be on the table? I saw that our uh, Mecklenburg County Democratic State Senator Natasha Marcus, she filed a bill, a gun grabby bill, uh, sorry, the Gun Violence Prevention Act, um, which will prevent violence against guns, I believe. That's the idea. But she uh, filed this comprehensive omnibus bill that is a gun grabber's dream. And I'm curious, like maybe we'll trade that for some for some CON reforms, right? I mean, as long as we've set the price here, because that is what we have done. The, well, not we. The, the, the Republican leadership has set a price. Their price for repealing three certificates of need, three out of 27, to undo, to dismantle anti-competitive, monopolistic regulatory regimes, in, 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 which, by the way, if you dismantle, would actually lower the cost of, uh, of health care, people get more access, it would spur more competition, Right. From the, from the free market competition party, they have set a price, three repeals of CONs at a 27, so 11%, three repeals for Medicaid expansion. So I'm just kind of curious if that's the price, what's the, what is the equivalent of Democrats' wish to expand Medicaid in North Carolina? And I understand other states have done it. I understand 40 states have already done it. I understand we're like one of the last holdouts. Republican states all over have taken the federal money. I understand that. But that doesn't persuade me. Because I actually believe what I'm telling you. <laughs> That's, I understand you, you may come to a different conclusion. You're making a political calculation. Okay. You flipped. 
the political calculus changed. The political calculus now is that we think this is best for for Republican political outcomes. That's what they're saying. But that makes it sound like they're just, you know, withholding Medicaid expansion for political purposes. I guess so. Right? I, I mean, I guess they were. I've been arguing against the expansion for these principled reasons. And I think these things are going to happen. I could be wrong. Again, what do I know? Just a little old radio host here. All right, let me go over here to Fox. Hello, Fox. Welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, I'm good, buddy. Love your show. Thank you, sir. Um, the the what you're talking about with the the healthcare and the stuff. Mm. There's two there's two things an American can do to control more of their life, fix their health, and fix their mindset on their own. And we don't seem to want to do that in this country anymore. We want a pill to fix everything. So me, I have a little bit of cholesterol and sugar issues. I'm 56. I work out. Uh, two hours a day, four day, four times a week. So I put in eight hours at the gym to fix all that. I take berberine and red red yeast rice over the counter, no big pharma drugs. And guess what? I go to the doctor. My numbers are good enough. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand why in this country nobody wants a mindset shift or a health shift. Because it's order hard. It's hard, Fox. That's hard. I don't want to have to change. It's not hard. Change <laughs> is the greatest thing that'll ever happen to you. No, I agree. Look, hey, cha- but well, change. Change is difficult because the brain recognizes it as something that is unknown. And the brain automatically, if it's unknown, especially as you get older, the brain looks at that with wariness. It's a survival mechanism. I get it. And so when you when you become comfortable, being mm-hmm. uncomfortable is when you've made it. Yeah. Well, I, and so I'll tell you this. So people know, like I talk about Ph.D. weight loss and nutrition. Dr. Ashley Lucas talks about uh, this in uh, in her book where mm-hmm. there are and this this comes from uh, Eastern uh, medicine or Eastern, uh, you know, uh, uh, mindset, which mm-hmm. is there are three, there are three different, uh, places in life, right? There is regression, stagnation, or progression, right? Those are like three stations and you are only ever moving from one to the next. So if you are in the middle one, if you are in stagnation, you're at stasis, right? You're going to backslide into regression. That's the natural tendency. So if you are at stasis, you should always be looking to progress, right? You should always be looking to move forward, to change something, to do something new, set new goals, because otherwise the natural tendency is to move backwards. So if you're always looking forward, you're always moving forward, doing stuff forward, even if you backslide, that just means you're at status quo. I'm in progression for the last 11 years. There you go. So that's that's what I'm telling you. Though that's that's what we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about how are you as an individual going to help yourself? Mm-hmm. Well, look, you're going to need to put in some effort, right? Well, if we didn't even want to tell people during the pandemic, hey, might want to lose some weight, we weren't even willing to tell people that at a time where it was literally going to save their lives. Then uh, you know, I I don't know, I don't know how we get to the position you're talking about, Fox. I do appreciate the call. Good to talk with you, buddy. Um, and it's a and, and those it's a good point, it's an absolutely great point. Um, let's see here a, a couple more tweets from uh, Brent Woodcox. These are pretty recent here. Uh, in this ongoing debate, he says there's generally a reason why Monday. This was subtweet is what he did. He just put this out there and he didn't uh, he didn't tag anybody. He didn't put it into a hashtag. It's called a subtweet where you say something and then you know hope nobody sees it, but kind of hope people see it. You know, well I saw it. I follow him, and so. It pops up. He says, there's generally a reason why Monday morning quarterbacks are sitting on the sidelines. 
can't orchestrate an offense, can't read a defense, can't understand a playbook. Everybody's an armchair expert sitting on their couch at home, though. And I said, well, if you'd like to come on the show today at either 1 o'clock or 2 o'clock, I am happy to hear you break it all down. Uh, He did not respond to that. Um, And when Donald Bryson from the John Locke Foundation told him, gave him a checklist, John Locke Foundation has researched the problem, has provided policy solutions on both CON and Medicaid expansion. They, they have provided these things. It's all on their website. They write the white papers. They do the research. They arm you with information and facts. They, ele- they help elect legislative majorities. But I guess because they didn't draft specific legislation to repeal certificate of need, and because they, not being legislators, were not able to pass legislation for supply-side health care reforms, because they didn't do those things, which they cannot do. But he said, the problem wasn't on our side here, Brent. The problem was on yours. And then he says, I didn't do anything wrong isn't my standard. Success or failure is my standard. Thus far, CON repeal has been a failure. This is the first chance at getting some success. And so I pointed out, because you know me, I'm a giver. I said, this is exactly what I've been saying. Like, you take 11% of the loaf now, and then you come back for the other 89%. This is what I said. So you're pricing the repeal of 11% of CON for full Medicaid expansion. So it's only fair to ask, then, what what is the other pricing on these other programs and services that they may be similarly valued? That's all. I'm just asking for the information. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Don't break anything while I'm gone.